if you haven't yet, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews as we are in the midst of a series that we have entitled Rediscovered Church. And maybe you don't think about the titles, but that title kind of bothers me. Rediscovered Church, as if I've lost what church is. I've been in church for a long time and and what do I need to rediscover? Maybe you're there this morning. You're like, listen, I know the church like the back of my hand. What, what is there to rediscover? But as I've come to understand, anything that's a tradition in my life, anything that really just kind of happens rote, something that's a part of my schedule, it is altogether good and right for me to reevaluate, for me to rediscover why I do the things I do and why I'm a part of the things that I'm a part of. And church is one of those things. Because we do it so often, because we know it like the back of our hand, we can often begin to think we know why we're here. We know what we're called to do. We know what we're called to experience. But it's altogether right and good for us from time to time to stop and ask the question, why is church a part of my life? What is it supposed to be doing? and evaluating whether or not my experience is in fact right and true. But in a group this size, we also need to recognize there are some who are new to the faith, who don't understand the things that we do. And so for some of you, it is a discovering of church, to know what we're all about, the people of God, the program of God, and how we are to go about praising the name of God in this place and throughout the world. And today I want to ask a very simple question. A simple question that I think involves a profound answer because it will determine what we do here and how we go about doing it. And the question is simply this, why are you here? Why are you at church? Maybe a better way of putting it, why are we gathered together? What is the purpose for this setting? Not only this setting corporately, but our small groups and in ministry. Why are we gathering as a church? Now, pollsters and survey writers ask these questions of Americans all the time. And this is what they came up with when asking the question, why do Americans go to church? And overwhelming response, and it should be no surprise, to get closer to God. But as you look, there's a lot of reasons why people are a part of church. And maybe one of these reasons is a reason you have. Maybe it's so that the kids have a stronger moral foundation. Maybe you think this makes you better. An hour here makes you a better person the next 167 hours of the week. Maybe you find yourself in a place of great trouble. In fact, I saw one study that says people who have gone through a difficult week are more prone to attend church than those who have had a great week. And the reason why is the deep sense and knowledge that maybe God is there to help them in their time of struggle and issue. Uh, 59%, I love this 59%, they find the sermons valuable. Now I know in the church this size, those numbers are changed. It's 95%, amen, right? And so you find value. You find value in the things that are taught. You find value in uh, uh, the things that you're learning. And that's good. For another set of people, it was finding uh, a community of faith. Others, more than a third said it's just to continue the tradition. 
And, and let's be honest, while we're not a traditional church, the tradition of going to church is a tradition nonetheless. And some of you might be here this morning just to continue that tradition on. You learned it from your grandparents and your parents, and, and you feel like you should continue that. Some of you feel maybe obligated to be here. You feel a religious obligation. You have in your mind, if I'm at church, God's not mad at me. If I'm participating in worship, then God's happy with me and good things are, are going to come. For others, it's finding new people to socialize with. Others, it's to please a family member or a spouse. You're here because it makes them happy. You're here because mom and dad are happy when you are. You see that a lot of times on Mother's Day. We see a big increase of worship on Mother's Day because people come where mom wants you to be, in church. And we see that. Now, in the inverse, you, you have why do people not go to church? I thought this was uh, a bit revealing. Uh, number one, I practice my faith in other ways. How what will inevitably happen, and we need to understand this, and this is true even in evangelical circles, we begin to think that the church is disposable. We don't need the church to practice our faith. And so I can practice my faith on the golf course. I can enjoy God's creation there. I can enjoy it in other places, doing other things. Uh, this is not, I'm not uh, bound by what the Bible says is the way to practice my faith. I can do it in other ways. 18%. I'm sorry, you, you just don't like the sermons. Amen, amen. I don't like them either, okay? Some don't feel welcome. 28%, let's just be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're honest. I'm just not a believer. I don't buy this stuff that you're offering. 12% I don't have the time. 9% say they're shut-ins, difficult to get around. And 26%, 26%, and this is the group I want to sit with for a moment because I think there's a lot of this 26% even within uh, what I would say are committed evangelical Christians. And, and that in some ways uh, causes, uh, you know, as we look at our numbers, 55% of our church body isn't at church on any, I'm sorry, 55% of our church body is in church on any given Sunday. And what that means is that there are things that have conceivably are more important on any given Sunday than being at church. Now, before you feel the guilt trip of that, okay, because I don't want that to be there, I want this to serve as a guide, not a guilt trip, that we need to recognize that what we're going to be talking about is what is our habits, what are our patterns, what are our priorities when it comes to church. But in order to have a priority, we have to have truth to uh, instill in our lives of why we should be there. Why do we gather? Why are we a part of this thing called the church? That's the question we want to answer today in this rediscovered church. To do so, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19 and going through verse 25 and 20, it'll be 26 as well this morning. And we're going to see the book of Hebrews, and we've studied the book of Hebrews before. Uh, if you don't know it, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers who had left their faith, who had left their community, their family to follow Jesus. And the pushback from their family, the pushback from their community was so fierce and so difficult that many were giving up on the faith and saying it just wasn't worth it. Jesus, this new uh, worship of Jesus wasn't worship. I'll just go back to Jewish traditions and the Jewish religion and the Jewish faith. It makes everybody happy. Mom and dad are happy. My neighbors are happy. My boss is happy. And I'll do that. 
And what the writer is doing for the first nine chapters of this book is telling us how great Jesus is. In fact, he, as we put it, is the greatest of all time. He's important and he's worth it. And he comes to this chapter in chapter 10 and he says, I want you to know why worshiping God in community with God's people is so important. And he's going to use this motif that he's used throughout Hebrews that we are a household. We are a family. We are people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is seen in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, when we are told we are God's house. We see this in Hebrews 10.21 when it says we enter God's house not as visitors but as a family. We see this in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 when it tells us that Jesus Christ himself isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so here we are, we have this family, we're in this household, we're building this house together. Jesus is our older brother, our savior, And we are to do life together. It is not to be done in isolation from one another. In fact, three times we're going to see this phrase, let us, let us, let us. And it's going to speak to the plural, to the corporate idea of Christianity. We were never intended to be saved individuals who did our faith on our own. It was to be done in close proximity with other believers. And so it then begs the question, why do we gather together? And we got three answers this morning. We gather together, number one, because we've been invited in. We have been invited in. Write that down. The first reason why is we have been invited in, but the question is, Will we go in? Let's look at what the scripture says for us this morning. Starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, there's that family motif. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house, there's that house motif again, the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let's stop there. The first thing we need to understand is that the writer is telling us that we are not a part of a religion, but a family. Therefore, brothers and sisters, this family idea is of great importance to this idea of why we gather. Families gather together. And the bigger the families get, the more difficult it is to gather them together. I watched that. My parents didn't have any problem when there was just the five of us, mom and dad and my two other brothers, for mom to get us gathered together. But when we started bringing uh, girls and wives, if you will, into the mix and started having kids, it became altogether more difficult. But we didn't stop gathering together. We spent time with one another. We were involved in one another's lives. And we need to understand this morning that to be a Christian is to be a part of a family. And with family, there's obligations. With family, there is connection. With family, there is community. So here we have this community, this family that we have. And notice that being a part of the family 
allows an invitation. Here's the invitation. We have confidence. We have been invited to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Let's stop there. When the writer says that we have been invited to enter the holy places, he, his audience, the Jewish Christians, know exactly what he's talking about. Because in the Jewish faith, the place of worship wasn't a family. It was a nation. The nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel would gather in this one place, this sacred place, the temple of God. And it would come. And the Jewish people would come. And they would bring their offerings. And they would come to this place, this temple. And they would take their offerings. And they would hand their offerings off to priests. And they would hang out in the courts, the outer courts, where men and women and even Gentiles were able to be a part of. But then they would take their offering and they would give it to the Levite priesthood. And the Levites would take that offering and they would go to what is called the holy place. The holy place. And the holy place was where the sacrifices, uh, the ordinary sacrifices would be rendered to God. And so you would go, you would hand it to a group of people, they would take it into this other court where they would do the offering, and you would stand far back and you would watch, you would look from afar and see the smoke and say, there's my offering to the Lord. My priest took it and he offered it. But then those priests would then take a corporate offering, and once a year, for all people, for the nation of Israel... They would give one priest, the high priest, the job of taking that one offering from the holy place to take it into the most holy place or the holy of holies. To enter into that place, that man, one individual, one time a year, would go through a curtain, and this curtain was a massive curtain, 60 feet high, 40 feet wide, and about five to six inches deep. To give you an idea of the depth of this, think of the New York yellow pages. For those 30 and younger, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. This is a dense curtain. And the job of this curtain was to keep everything out. The sights, the smells, the sounds the distractions. And within this place, this most holy of places, was the presence of God. This is where the ad individual would have the opportunity to draw near to God unlike anybody else. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that you and I have been invited into that place. You and I have been invited to dwell and to worship and to praise God in a place that only the high priest used to go. And the reason why he says that is he says the curtain is gone. The curtain is obsolete. Now we know from Matthew 27 that that curtain was torn in two. That at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, that, that symbolic gesture was that the Holy of Holies was now available to this new covenant people. But notice what the writer says. He says it goes through the curtain. You and I have been invited to go behind the curtain. This is VIP. This is where no one got to go. You and I have been invited in 
And notice that we have been invited in and notice what it says about it. That it has been made open for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. Now what the writer is saying here is that that invitation to enter into the holy places of God, to dwell with God, to worship God, has been made available to us, but it wasn't free. Notice that this curtain, notice what it says, it was through his flesh. It's an allusion to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand this morning, you're like, well, what does all this have to do with why I'm here today? Here, is, here it is. The only reason why we're here today is because Jesus died to make it possible. Jesus was beaten and abused. Jesus' uh, blood was poured out for you and I so that we might be invited into this place. And so now, as New Covenant believers in Jesus Christ, we've now entered the Holy of Holies, and we think we're the only ones invited. We are the only ones in. But when we get there, we see we're not the only ones. But there's a great number of people. We start rubbing shoulders with all of you. And you with me. And we start seeing that this invitation wasn't just given to me, but it was given to a great many. And many have received that inv invitation and have entered in. And in doing so, it has given us total access. We now have total access to God. No more mediator needed between God and man except that being Jesus Christ himself. And now we have, as the text says, a full assurance. Notice the phrase that says we have confidence and assurance. Those two words in the Greek speak of total freedom. Freedom to act and speak without reprisal, fear, or concern. It is the ability for us to be ourselves that no mass posturing or cleaning up is necessary for us to enter this place. Which is a helpful reminder of when we gather in the presence of God and in the presence of God's people, it should be the most transparent of moments. That we don't need to be putting on all manner of masks to hide ourselves. But that what we should be doing is we should be acknowledging, well, why are you here? I'm here. I'm in this place because I was a sinner, dead, held captive by the evil one, lost in my ways. And Jesus saved me. And he's invited me into this place. And when Jesus invites me to something, you better believe I'm going to be there. You better believe that this is going to be a priority of mine because I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, want to dwell with Jesus any chance I can. And the greatest expression of that is the corporate gathering of God's people in God's presence, worshiping and praising him with total confidence and assurance of faith. You've been invited to this. This cost Jesus his life. And now we have the great opportunity in this moment, in this expression of time and space, to be a part of something that Jesus has invited us to. Will we go in? Will we go in? Now, you're like, well, I'm here, 
So you're preaching to the choir. So let's go to the second thing I've been invested in. Will I grab hold? So we're in the, if you will, the presence of God. We're with God's people. We have our mediator Jesus with us. The question is now, am I simply going to be a spectator and take in all that's going on around me or will I grab hold of what is signified in my entering this? Notice what the writer goes on to say, verse 23. The second let us. So we need to draw in. Why do we draw in? Because we've been invited. Second let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So as we enter into the holy of holies, God's presence, God says to us, I've done the work of inviting you in. Now the question is, will you grab a hold of all that has been made available to you? That word grab hold of, or to hold on to, is the Greek word kateko. It means to hold something at all costs. It was a nautical term, speaking of a captain of a shipping vessel who would grab hold of the steering wheel and not let go. And here's the reason why he didn't let go. Because he recognized, if I let go of the wheel, I will go off course. If I let go of the wheel, I will be tossed to and fro by the waves that are battering the ship of my life. And so I'm going to hold fast to that wheel so that I stay on course. I don't chart off course, but I stay on the course of what I'm heading towards. Well, what are we heading towards? Notice we are to hold fast to the confession of hope. Well, what's the confession of hope? When did this confession take place? Well, notice in verse 22, it has some significance talking about sprinkling us clean from an evil conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, what does that remind you of? What in the church's gathering has water to it? The answer is baptism. And the idea here is what we see in baptism is a symbol, a signifying of the washing that has taken place. But we don't just get baptized. Some weeks ago, we saw individuals get baptized. And we didn't just simply walk them down into water, dump them into the water, and pull them out and walk out. Well, that guy got wet. Well, why did he do it? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Well, what happened? Well, you know what happened. Why? Not just because of the event, but because of the confession. The confession of their faith. They said, I believe. I believe. I believe that my life was a wreck. I believe that Jesus is the only answer to address the wreckage of my life and my sin and my disobedience. I believe Jesus was sufficient in remedying my sin and my shame. I believe now Jesus has made me white as snow. He's made me pure from an evil conscience. And now I get to enter the holy of holies in the presence of God. I believe, I believe, I believe. Now that belief is going to change your standing. It's going to change your standing in the world because not everybody believes. So you have separated yourself from those who don't believe. And this was the struggle that the Jewish people were having because in saying I believe in Jesus meant that I didn't believe the same way my family did. 
And you saying you believe in Jesus is going to set you apart from how other people believe. And so our gathering together is to remind you of your confession of faith, your confession of hope, and hopefully to build in you a more secure standing in that confession. Listen to me very carefully. A win at Village Bible Church has nothing to do with numbers. A win for the week of Village Bible Church here is not about the offering. A win at Village Bible Church isn't that so many people signed up in their bulletins or a record number of people at the barn bash. Listen to me. A win at Village Bible Church is this. Write this down. Put this in your head and heart. A win is that you leave this place more confident and assured in your faith than you walked in with. That you walked in more secure in your standing, walked out more secure in your standing than you walked in. That you brought all of the uncertainties of living in a pagan world and in a pagan society with all of their ideas and all of their thoughts and all of their solutions. And you walk in in here and like, I'm not sure Jesus is all that he says he was. And you leave this place saying, I am sure of it. And I'm confident of it. And I leave more confident and more assured than I walked in with it. Now here's the thing. You hear me talking about my confidence. You hear me talking about my assurance. But did you know you confessed some things this morning? That you confessed uh, your confession of hope? You already did that this morning. And part of the problem of, of doing things so often in tradition is we just forget about them. So let's rewind. Let's rewind to just a handful of moments ago during your confession. So let's run the tape. So we rewind it. And we get to this. Let's go back to where we were. Just a couple moments ago, you sang out these words. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Let's hold that there for a moment. What did you just confess? For some of you, you're barely ambulatory. You're standing there, whatever goes on the screen, I'll go ahead and sing. But listen, this is a confession. The confession is this. I, like Solomon, have looked out to the world. Its possessions, its pleasures, its prestige, its popularity, its power. And I've come to the realization that none of that will fill me. For some here today, you said, I went after that, and it only brought me trouble. Even man's empty praise and the treasures, none of them are enough. We, we confess that as people. And then we said this. Go to the next slide. Then you, Jesus, came along, and you put me back together. Now, let's stop there. Jesus, you came along. There's something different about you than anyone else. That's my confession. There's something about Jesus. And you put me back together. Wait a minute. To say that Jesus put me back together meant that I was broken in the first place. Do you see your confession? I was broken. And now every one of my desires that I thought the world could fill is satisfied here 
in your love. So then we go on and we confess one more truth. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Jesus. No, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you. That's what you and I confess this morning. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to confess that on Sunday mornings. Will we confess that on Monday in our schools and our workplaces? Will we confess that when we're the minority? Will we confess that when there's skin in the game? And the job of the church, the gathering of God's people, is to make sure that we have what we need to be ready to confess that, whether it's before the angels of heaven or the demons of hell. And that we do so with a steadfastness and an assurance of faith that only comes from Jesus. And so we're confessing things. We're confessing things, and we need to understand that this confession is a calling. It's a calling for us to be not only invested, but involved. Involved. In verse 25. He goes on with the family in the house and he says that uh, we are to consider how to stir one another up. Notice that phrase, one another. It's not just about us, it's about each other. And we are in this household of God to look out for one another. Parents, you know this. You know that you might be having the best day ever and then you get a report that one of the kids aren't doing well. And your best day turns bad pretty, pretty quickly. Why? Because your family. And when one part of the family's hurting, all family members are hurting. And so we are called to be involved as a family, as a household, to work in concert with one another, to do things together, to be connected to one another. We can't be content. My kids can't hear from me. Well, I'm just your dad. So don't ask me to do anything. So as long as I pay the bills, as long as I put a roof over your head, that's all that you need. No, to be a father, to be a family member means I need to be very much involved in all manners of their lives and that they get an invitation to be involved in the very private things of their dad. And this is what we're called to. We're a family. We're a household. So what does this involve, this involvement? Notice three things, and I'll close. It involves examining one another. It involves examining one another. Let's just knock these out. It involves engaging with one another. And it involves encouraging one another. So let's nail these one at a time. We are to examine one another. Notice that word in verse 25. Let us consider how to stir one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let's deal with this word consider. This word consider means to look at something intently, to give close attention to something, to be focused in on something. Well, how does that work in God's family? I am to consider my family. I am to look at them. I am to examine them. I am to ask questions of them. How are they doing? What are their needs? 
Are they filled with joy? How can I fill them with a greater sense of joy? Do they have purpose? How can I give them a greater sense of purpose? How can I help them? How can I carry their burdens? These are the questions we should be asking of ourselves about our family, the household of God. So when we gather together, I take my eyes off of myself and I start looking up at the people and I start asking, how can I serve the people of God? How can I minister to them? How can I care for them? How can I encourage them? How can I make their life with Jesus more sweet and more profound? That means we've got to start asking questions of one another and not simply give pat answers to the things that we know where we're struggling. Now notice this involves an agitation to stir one another on, to consider how to stir up one another. The idea here is agitating. The idea here is getting close and personal with one another and getting involved in one another's spaces. That's not the American church. The American church says, I'm gonna keep you at arm's length. Let's, let's be honest. The American church says fellowship, but just do it in the next minute. And we'll put a clock on there so everybody knows that it's not going to go for an hour and everybody knows when they need to sit down. Let's just be honest about things. But the Bible says here that we are to stir one another up. We are to get up close and personal. And there are very few things in this world that I would say I'm an expert in. Amanda would attest to that truth. But here's one thing I do know a whole lot about. Charcoal. Because of my life as a caterer and as a barbecue, I've been around charcoal for a long time. I've used it. I know. I know how it works. And this picture of charcoal tells you things. There's two types of charcoal. White charcoal and black charcoal. Hot charcoal and cold charcoal. That's the difference between the two things. And if you want to get more charcoal cooking, you need to get it near hot charcoal. And so what we need to know, what we have to ask is, am I hot or cold in my faith? For a lot of us, we're cold in our faith. And the number one reason we are is we're not near any hot charcoal. We're not up close and personal with other people that are on fire for the Lord. And we're sitting there going, well, why am I not getting hot? Why am I not like those people? Well, because they keep rubbing up against other hot pieces of charcoal. That's why small groups are so important. We get together and some of us are cold walking in on Thursday night and some of us are red hot. And so if I get close to the red hot, I'm gonna, before the end of the night, I'm gonna be burning hot as well. And so we got to get up close and personal. We've got to start engaging with one another. And I can assure you of this, if you keep the cold charcoal away from the hot charcoal, the cold charcoal stays cold. And here's the truth. It'll never heat up. And some of us are not engaging in the process that God has given us and we're never heating up. And here's the, here's the sad thing. We blame God for it. We say it's Jesus' fault. And what the church's job is to do is to agitate, is to purposely put 
hot and cold charcoal together so that the whole thing will burn on fire one day. So we've got to engage. Now, here's the thing. Engagement means we cannot neglect engagement. Notice the phrase that he says, some are neglecting to meet together. Oh boy, here it goes. Here's the 55% rule. 55% of Village Bible churches at church on any given Sunday. That means 45% of us are gone. Now, for those who were here last Sunday, like, well, wait a minute, Badal wasn't here last week. He can't get too much into my face. He was gone. So listen, before we legalistically go after one another for missing church from time to time, I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews recognizes that people will miss from time to time. They'll miss because of work. They'll miss because of illness. They'll miss because of family. They'll miss because of a variety of reasons. Let's remember that the Hebrew church found it very, very difficult to be worshiping together because of the confines the culture around them had set on them. And so the issue isn't missing church. Don't receive that and say, well, Tim, Pastor Tim's going to be mad. He missed, I, I, I miss church. Well, Tim misses church. But the writer goes on and notice what he says. As is the, help me out, habit. That's the problem. The problem is that we habitually do it. Why is a habit a habit? Because we've made it a habit. We've made it a priority. And so my issue isn't, listen, do not hear from me that I'm going to come down on you or the leaders are going to come down on you for missing church. What the issue is, is it your habit to make other things more important than gathering with God's people, remembering what Jesus did that allows us this very opportunity to enter the holy place of God with full assurance of faith and full confidence. What's more important than that? That week in and week out, we're going to decide and we're going to make a decision to do something else instead of that. Now we've got a problem. Because we've got habits, we've got priorities, we've got preferences that make it that. Now here's the thing, when is a habit a habit? I'm going to leave that to the Holy Spirit to ask you in your life. And to ask probably the better question instead of looking at your attendance record, do I really want to be here? Do I really want to be engaged in this thing? Now, Now, here's how the writer ends it, and I'll close with this. He ends it with this following. Encourage one another, and all the more, do all these things. As you see the day, the day is capitalized. That's an important day. That's a singular day drawing near. The day is the day of the Lord. The day where eternity, once and for all, is inaugurated. It is the day where we will stand in the presence of God, body and soul, with the people of God, past, present, and future, and we will worship and praise God for all eternity, fellowshipping with God's people in community with our Savior and our Heavenly Father and His Spirit, and we will do that for all of eternity. The closest expression of that, my friends, is what we're doing right now. The closest expression of what that it will look like is what we're doing right now. And let me ask you this. If this is boring to you, then eternity is going to be a very, very boring venture. 
And so why should we encourage one another to be involved in this gathering together? Because we're practicing for eternity. We're practicing what we're going to do. We're with the elect angels and all the saints in this great cloud of witnesses. We will worship and adore our Savior. And in those days and in those moments and in those eons, he will teach us about himself and he will reveal himself to us and we will be overwhelmed by it. And here's the thing, we're just practicing. We're just practicing right now. And so if your habit is to mispractice, if your habit is to be unengaged in this endeavor, then there's some work, some examining that needs to go on. And we need to ask, do I really have this confession of faith and of hope? Do I really long to enter the most holy place of God, to dwell there and to live there and to engage and experience that great reality with the brothers and sisters that God has invited in with me? Or are there things altogether more important? That is for us to decide. Why do we gather? Because we've been invited in. Why do we gather? Because Jesus has invested in us. Why do we gather? Because we're a part of a family that God has called us to be involved in. The question is, will we go in? Will we grab hold? And will we get plugged in? That's the application that we need to ask the Spirit to lead and guide us to today.